Welcome to Season 2 of Launch Your Wealth. I'm Jonah Lemons, your podcast host, business growth strategist, a real estate entrepreneur, and a mom of four sons and two daughters. My mission is to help launch 100 self-made success stories in 2021. Truly, I am here to represent the minority stake as a woman entrepreneur through business ownership, financial education, and wealth empowerment. I am an underrepresented minority, a proud Canadian, bridging Canadian-American business, and surely paving the way in real estate, alternative investing, and syndication. Thank you so much for tuning in once again and for being a big part of the inspiration that goes into sharing this open conversation with my featured guests, no matter where you are in this world. Just so you know, we are making it across the globe. From US to Canada, Germany, Norway, Australia, Russia, Israel, Italy, Singapore, Philippines, and India. This is all for you. It is time to launch your version of success. This new year, I am featuring women entrepreneurs who have started from ground and launched their wealth. They are representing grit, strength, and lessons learned along the way. I am so excited and quite honored to have Cindy Byler, a working mom, a long-distance real estate investor, and owner of Passive Patriots LLC, currently residing in Texas. Well, let's get this open conversation started now. Welcome, Cindy Byler. I am so excited, so glad that you can make it to this wonderful podcast today. I just say that to be biased, but, um, you know, all jokes aside, I am really glad uh, that we're finally here connected through a CRE challenge on LinkedIn. So, you know, I just want to let you know that I did not realize prior to that all the hacks that you did to get to where you're going now. And so that really fascinated me. Uh, it's something that I really believe as far as, you know, the whole underdog and going through that process. And so at Launch Your Wealth, this is really where we feel that you can launch and you should be launching every day. Goals, you know, whatever you want to do in life, dreams, goals, tasks. Um, for me, it's, you know, being a mom, working mom, woman entrepreneur, military spouse, which is a major, major inspiration to how you got started in real estate and investing. So please take us there. I welcome you here. And I'm just really glad that, you know, you're able to share with us this story and kind of like pinpoint some of the lessons and mistakes maybe along the way. And so, there you have it. Absolutely, Jonah. Thank you so much for having me. To welcome um, a you're the bigger, first person to ever ask me to be their guest on the podcast. Let's I know. keep I did breaking do one those barriers. Week, like, as if you'd like to join Launch Your like Wealth Inner app, Circle so. <laughs> every <laughs> Thursday via I'm Zoom, so glad. I'm so glad you can launch email. here. Jonah you know, at launchyourwealth.com. Not I think, but I think there's so many stories very similar, but I believe yours really stand out in a way that, you know, you kind of saw the the We are all in this together. Even though you could have been So I want you to find me on Instagram and on LinkedIn. I promise you, we are in this together as partners. 
whether you Absolutely. are on the other side so, of the world um, or you're in the U.S. or you're in Canada, no matter what, this platform is made for you. Um, and so we until both the really next episode, nothing. <laughs> I hope to <laughs> see you in my New inner York. circle. Um, and after we graduated college, you know, life began. Um, actually, he's two years older than I, so I finished off college first because that's the responsible thing to do, you know. <laughs> and then um, when we actually moved in to live together 10 months after being married, um, it was like reality is like, oh, this is the new lifestyle. So um, when I first got there, uh, within three days, he left for a training. Um, I moved all the way from New York to Kansas and, and I secured a job as a music teacher. That's what I went to school for. And that was like super exciting. And I wish I could have shared it with him, but there was no cell phones, whatever. He came home and I was like, hey, guess what? I got a job. And he's like, oh, that's great. Guess what? I'm going to deploy. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm from New York. Like, I just moved here from New York. I have nobody. Um, fortunately, he didn't deploy, but um, we did. I ended up teaching that school year and it was great. But he also got into school, um, which forced us to move from Kansas to, to San Antonio, Texas, which was great. And um, at the end of the school year, I also had a baby. I did the entire school year pregnant. That was fun. Um, but you know, being the independent person I am, I'm like, I'm going to stay here. I have a job and you know, you can go to your school thing. You can focus. And then she and I will be here. And after a while, I was like, wait, life changed. I have a baby now. Um, and it would be selfish of me to, to keep her from him when one day we won't have a choice. And so I went to the superintendent and it was two weeks before school started a small school where they can't find music teachers easily. And I was like, look, I'm sorry. I have to put my family first in this situation and I have to move with them. And he, he completely understood, but at the same time, um, it was the short notice. And he's like, you know, the consequence to the short notice is I have to hold your, your certification for a year. You can't teach for a year. And initially I was like, well, that's fine. I didn't plan on it anyway. I had a child and we're moving. But after the fact, I just felt very almost irresponsible. I was like, oh, I, I just got, you know, almost labeled as this, like, you let us down kind of person. And that's not who I am. Um, so that's sort of the preface to, you know, having my career. Uh, we went on to move three times in three years. Um, and that included to and from Hawaii. So we went from Kansas to San Antonio to Hawaii, and now in Central Texas, where we live now. So it was a lot. Um, and during that time, I was a stay-at-home mom. Um, I gave up my career. I did pop out another baby in the meantime. And, you know, I always think it's important to do something for yourself and be a little selfish because as a mother, it literally is the most selfless job that there is. <laughs> um, well, and so I was going to say, if I, if I can interrupt that, yeah. you pretty much signed up for one of the hardest jobs. You know, just like mm -hmm. Oprah said, one of the hardest jobs is being a mom. And, and, and just imagine all of that, you know, whatever activity in between that you have to go through, uh, you know, job change, career change. Mm -hmm. Wow. Like that's, that to me is, I think we as women, if I may say, we kind of, you know, somehow sell ourselves out being a mom and mm -hmm. like you say, you know, feeling kind of like that guilt, like, did I do something irresponsible? And I just want to share with everyone listening 
woman or not, um, you know, that is, I think that's the self-doubt that normally will kick in. Like, did we make the right decision? Did we, you know, are we doing things properly? I really believe that we need to stop labeling that. For our own self you know the self-doubt is the greatest enemy right so i think with that said you know like just hearing how you you kind of got into this scenario and now living in central texas i mean that's a journey like that's that's wisdom in itself so it's exciting to hear this but go ahead and continue i just wanted to put it out there because i think women out there doesn't matter where you are canada us japan whatever we're all somehow speaking that similar lingo when it comes mm -hmm. to that feeling of being a mom, being a working mom, aside from being a spouse. Yeah. So it's a job in itself. So, and then what Everybody happened? Is. So when, when, that, when that whole thing happened, you went to work, were pregnant, then got pregnant mm -hmm. again. And then wh when was your aha moment? You were like, okay, I've got a... Well, yeah. Go <laughs> it's okay. Um, so um, my aha moment happened just as I had decided to like give up my career. Um, for this life change, my mother-in-law came into town. It was shortly after we had our daughter, and she she came out and asked me because we were nervous about going down to one income. And she goes, you know, we came from very modest lifestyles, so we were doing quite well in comparison. She goes, where's all your money going? And I was like, um, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> like, we're not really living it up necessarily. We were paying extra on our debts, but we were freaking out because we, you know, when you do life, it's so easy to accumulate those debts. And we had about $60,000 in debt at this point. Um, and I worked multiple jobs throughout college. Neither my husband nor I um, got a single penny from our family. Like that was our responsibility. His way of paying for college was through the army. My way was like, I applied for every scholarship humanly possible and I did earn quite a few, thank God. Um, and then uh, I worked a lot. There was a point in college where um, I, I was coming up short my junior year and I'm like, I am not you know, going to let anything get in the way of me being the first person to graduate from college. No way, this is, this is happening. So I worked for um, in between semesters, 80 plus hours a week between wow. lifeguarding and Macy's to the point where one day I, I fell asleep at the wheel on the way to work. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so thank God like nothing crazy happened. Somehow I ended up in the other lane so I didn't hit the, the car in front of me, but this was like in the city of Rochester, New York and it was a really scary moment. I'm like, okay, this is just selfish. <laughs> like I'm gonna kill like, myself. That's aha moment right there. You're like, yeah. Oh. That was a life-changing moment for me because it, it gives me this why like I know a level of survival that I never want my my children to know um, my why is 100% generational um, legacy and so I do want them to appreciate what they're working like their goals and what they're working after but I never want them to feel that kind of pressure um, so anyways we had um, college debt, my college debt, which was about $30,000. We had a car debt of $20,000, which I only 
I, I only got into that car note because my car had caught on fire on the way to go see my husband <laughs> during Thanksgiving. I'm like, okay, this isn't safe. I still have to go from Kansas back to New York. Um, and then uh, we had about $10,000 debt on credit card. And that was because we paid for our own wedding. Um, you know, we had, we had dated for four years, but because he was supposed to deploy, we had a five month um, engagement. And so it all happened so fast. Um, and then there was also a, a wedding he was a part of, destination wedding. So between those two things, like all of a sudden we're up to $60,000 in debt. Um, and so when my mother-in-law, you know, asked me, where's it all going? I don't know. So when I became a stay-at-home mom, I became very focused on personal finances. Like it almost was an obsession, to be honest. Um, and I actually started out with, uh, the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. It was highly suggested through some um, military spouse groups. And I was like, oh, I should check this out. And his method of um, the snowball method um, of paying off debt, it worked wonderfully. And we followed that hardcore for three years. We paid, I think my husband may have been making about $60,000 at the time per year. And we paid off 60K in less than three years. So it, it took a lot of sacrifice. Um, to make that happen. And I felt like because I was budgeting and being really intentional about where our money was going, like all of a sudden we kind of got a raise. And I was, and I felt purpose in that, like, okay, I'm getting our financial house in order. He doesn't necessarily have time for it, but I do. And I'm going to make the most of this. And I did, after we paid off our debt, I did actually go and get my master's as well. So I wasn't sitting idle. I've never been an idle type of person, <laughs> like how, like, I'm all about the growth mindset. Like, how can I grow from this? All right, well, I'm a music teacher. That's not always uh, the most secure job, especially when you're moving around all the time. Um, so let's get my master's in health administration. <laughs> and so I did, and that was also in support of my husband who is a physician assistant. Like he has a, a dream of opening up his own practice one day. So, you know, we work very much like as a team. So I did that, um, and then I, I'm, I know I'm just like pushing right through. No, I'm curious. I'm curious to ask, you know, uh, you know, for for someone that, um, you know, probably going sixty thousand dollars in debt. Mm -hmm. You know, twenty thousand for for a car. Yeah. You know, ten thousand because you had to pay for a wedding. I'm doing a recap because yeah. sixty thousand to a lot of people. Um, that are already making it there, they don't see that as a bad thing. You know, there's a good debt and there's mm -hmm. a bad debt. So yep. in, in my opinion, my two cents is I didn't think that was a bad debt. So, you know, uh, under that, that opinion, but looking at that, it's like during that time, did you pay housing? Was there, um, there was a, like the army gives you a housing allowance technically, okay. like as part of his benefits. But yes, um, we had our own household. We had our own utilities that we had to pay. Mm -hmm. um, we had obviously the usual groceries and clothing right. and whatnot, but we were very, we were budgeting everything. Every month we had a new budget meeting. Yeah. So the living expense is really what takes up a lot of the, the bills, you know, every month, right? Mm -hmm. So that's good that you guys had at least that housing subsidy or yep. you know somehow it's it's being covered uh, through the work, um, mm -hmm. or or you know maybe some people don't have it that way where most of their income goes to housing. 
You know, right. I know in a lot of states and cities and, you know, main cities, at least around the world, it's very expensive to live. Um, you're paying mm -hmm. for housing costs, like not just, you know, the actual house, but, you know, electricity, water, groceries, gas, all of those things come mm -hmm. into the demographic or the location that you're in. So that's interesting. $60,000 in debt, my opinion is, wow, like that's not a bad debt because it was practical debt. It but was. I, it, right? We weren't like off having shopping sprees. Exactly. You're not living like, oh, I'm going to take a vacation every month mm -hmm. and, you know, buy fancy clothes and expensive bags. Right. You know. Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, there was certainly a status quo that people believed we should have been living up to. And it made people uncomfortable because, you know, it doesn't take us a lot to be happy. Like when we first got married, my husband chose to live in a trailer and <laughs> I mean, it was $450 a month in rent. It was less than a mile from the lake where he fished like practically every day. And I was still in New York finishing, you know, school. I was like, why do we need much more than that? And, you know, he drove his car that made a lot of noise from the muffler just to work. And they're like, why aren't you out like getting some fancy car right now like you make enough and and it's just a matter of really living below our means and I think that's something fortunately that we've always had a grasp on yeah and it, it seems like that's what worked you know I commend <laughs> you for really uh, sticking it through you know the non-glamorous moments in your life you're going into this commitment with your your future husband or boyfriend <laughs> at the time and you're doing this long distance you know relationship which probably most of us will say I don't know if that would work so I really believe that contributes to a lot of the fire the energy that you have going into you know becoming this entrepreneur going into this real estate you know industry business space whatever you want to call it and now you're launching into your new company your new business which is yeah. Passive Patriots which is amazing yeah. I think hearing this is really what's you know, very inspiring, very exciting, because I love seeing people, not just women, people in general, kind of get everything from ground zero and kind of work their way up because I can relate. I'm in the same, like I was not handed anything. Everything mm -hmm. that I know now is through my efforts. And, you know, I, I do credit all the people that were mentors, you know, family members that really supported that. And it seems like your mother-in-law cared you know even though she yeah. was asking like where's all your money going that's so typical right my mom yeah. asks me that to this day it's like what, what's going on why are the taxes so high I'm like mom it's a different country it's a different state you know <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like a, a, a cute thing when we go through that with our parents or in-laws um one thing I kind of want to cover uh, since, you know, this is your experiences, you mentioned, you know, going through the Dave Ramsey method. Mm -hmm. and you see, I was, I, I tuned in a webinar, or I, I think it was a live on LinkedIn, and they, and, and you know, they had a, a topic where it was talking about, not comparing, it was more like the verses, you know, like Susie Orman, David Bach, Dave, you know, and then you've got Robert Kiyosaki, you've got, you know, all of these new um, ways to kind of look at, you know, personal finance and wealth. Yeah, uh, development. So, you know, what is your take when you when when you talk about the whole Dave Ramsey method? Because my, my take on it is, and we both don't have to agree, or we can agree, of course. But I think this is kind of exciting because the way I looked at it is, I think it's good for someone that really needs to get out of that. Yep. But from a from a 
wealth creation, I think it's a bit different of uh, the way you would kind of shift around that in the mentality or the mindset, yep. right? So I like how you said the growth. You're always in this growth mindset. And that's, exactly. that's the key. That's the key, right? So what's your take on, you know, someone that's going through the bad debt, Mm -hmm. You know, would you recommend definitely looking at something like that and really putting that discipline and say, mm -hmm. hey, we need to get, you know, we need to get the personal finance on point before we can think about saving and investing? Or do you feel or do you believe whether you have this experience or not to look at it and say, okay, you know, credit card debts, car debts, all of that stuff is still part of practical life. We all got to go through it. Um, you know, should he or she think of saving, investing, uh, and, and kind of leverage off uh, debt in a way, you know, whether getting a loan, whether getting using the credit cards, share some of your insight on that as well and your personal opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm asked about this and even criticized about it a lot. The moment I mentioned Dave's name, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, being in the investor community, like, I've learned to accept that. But for me, that was a starting point. Again, going back to the growth mindset that allowed us to really just build a foundation and having discipline. It doesn't matter. Like all those financial gurus you talked about, they fully believe it. You know, you should have financial discipline. You should have, um, you know, you should live below your means. Uh, even Robert Kiyosaki talks about that, not necessarily in a scarcity mindset, but there has to be some control there. So it gave us a, a foundation financially. Um, and yes, we did pay off all this debt and maybe it was a little extreme in comparison to what others would go through. Like, okay, like student, you know, student loans, that's okay. For us, um, you know, it gave me something to do in those few years to really focus on and, and, and just, I don't know, just, win <laughs> um so the but, psychology of it the emotional yeah. you know side of that is like i had to focus mm -hmm. on this and this was it yep and so to further that like like i said that was a starting point so from dave ramsey once we ended up paying off all our debt um you know he has the baby steps and when you get to baby step four it's um put 15 percent into oh. index funds right and i was like what are index funds? What are mutual funds? Like I had to learn about that. And it, he just got very vague. And as an educator, I didn't like that. It didn't sit well with me. I'm like, I need to know more. So I started reading books. I eventually found the FIRE community, Financial Independence Retire Early. And so then I like really started drinking their juice. I'm like, okay, I've graduated from the, the Dave Ramsey program. And I think a lot of Americans, honestly, could use his program um, as a starting point. Now, I don't believe by any any means that, um, you know, he has it very much in a box and it's not always that way. It, life isn't that way, um, but it's a good starting point. Um, and then, so the financial independence retire early, they're very much in the index funds as well, um, mutual funds, but, you know, they're like high savings rate. And also like, you know, they do use credit cards. They use them to travel hack, actually. So I learned a little bit about travel hacking as well. Um, and then from there, I started to notice a pattern. You know, um, some people would come out and say, you get used to talking about finances. They're like, how much do you make a year? Like, I want to be able to make at least 100 grand a year. And I noticed that like those who were like wealthy and making a decent chunk, like they were all involved in real estate. And it's like, 
I need a piece of that pie. <laughs> so at this point, you know, we're past, you know, we've already paid off our debt and, and now we're saving a lot um, towards our emergency fund and then also like into our retirement and uh, still keeping that like below our means lifestyle. We did inflate it like a slight amount, like, you know, my husband would buy IPA beer instead of <laughs> Keystone or something, <laughs> um, nothing crazy. But um, yeah, so then we moved on to, then I uh, joined a subgroup of the Spire community and it was uh, Choose FI Real Estate is what it's called. And then I started learning about real estate and I, I had already been reading about it. I felt like I should go in that direction, but it just all kind of added up. And then um, when we moved to Central Texas, you know, we paid off all our debt. We had a, a good savings. Um, and I accidentally landed a teaching job here. Like apparently they really need teachers. And so I, I told my husband, I'm like, I wasn't even planning to, to teach full time. I was like, well, let me, let me go talk to him, see if this is what we want to do. My son just turned a year old. Like this was not part of the plan. Um, but we did end up deciding like I should take the job, but I told him like these last few years I've grown to be bitter. Um, it did cause this, this bitterness inside of me because I have two very expensive pieces of paper. I have a lot of potential and I have a lot of value to give. And, you know, I was giving myself so much to my children and, and by no means am I trying to undercut that, but I knew there was more for me outside of just being a mother and outside of being a wife. And so I told him like, you know, we don't need this salary and we're going to save all of it. And I'm going to take this jump into real estate and, and should it work out, we have this passive income and the army can take us wherever they want, but I can feel good about that passive income, knowing that my efforts and my salary and don't get me wrong, some of his too, um, made that happen. And, and so I don't have to be bitter for the next 15 years or how many every years, like he's in the military, like, so real estate really became a solution for our lifestyle and, and really for my securities, you know, if that makes sense. I'm just kind of smiling at this because it is so relatable and it is so on point. So let me just kind of recap just in case, cause I know we're like, we could be talking about this all day long, honestly. You, you, you mentioned about, you know, not just being a woman, mom, taking on, you know, work and then the finances. So let's kind of take it back. You, you know, you said a few uh, interesting things, like just in case everybody's going, well, it doesn't really apply to me right now. I'm not trying to do real estate. You know, when Cindy said, you know, started drinking the juice, there's a juice type of juice that is practical and doable, but there's also the Kool-Aid juice where, <laughs> you know, you can't inflate and bloat, you know, what you think. And then, you know, mentally, you're mentally and emotionally, you're willing to risk everybody that's kind of vested in your life, mm -hmm. such as spouse, children, you know, your relationships. So mm -hmm. I really think to emphasize on that is if you're making a leap, whether it's career, job, business ventures, such as real estate, I really believe that, you know, don't be drinking that Kool-Aid. You need to be you know, sort of in this mutual flow uh, together and have a common goal. 
And what I heard here is that you and you and your husband kind of saw that. And, and I appreciated that you, you know, you said, you know, I really believe that I'm more than just being a mother and it doesn't mean you're any less and that you're being irresponsible in that thought that, well, if I go ahead and do my own business, you know, and get into real estate and now, you know, my family's relying on me sort of speak to, to kind of make this work, mm -hmm. gosh, you know, am I making the wrong decision? And, and for someone that's like, maybe it's hitting a chord, I was in the same boat as you actually many years, many moons back, <laughs> you know, not that old, not that young, but it's so relatable because to this day, I think there's a time where it, it kind of robs me of that because mm -hmm. like just, I think it was like two weeks ago, I kept saying to my husband, I'm executing conservatively because deep inside, even though he's not saying that to me, I feel like that's what's holding me back that if I were to execute more assertively, proactively, I may be too busy to be that mom, to be mm -hmm. that wife and to be more available to do those, you know, little things, even though to our kids, they're not little, they're big, big impact. So it's so relatable because I think when you're looking at personal finance and then, you know, leaping into real estate, there's a lot of considerations to make. So not only you did a lot of life hack, uh, financial hack, so to speak, you know, take us to when you got to the real estate scenario. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you, right now you guys have about 10 properties, right? That you're managing and you're growing now. So uh, yeah, we have, sorry to cut you off, um, four properties, but 11 units. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. So, <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that to me, whether you have one or 10, it really mm -hmm. is the same to me because there's no way you're not going to grow. So my, 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 uh, I guess where I'm getting at is take us to now that you're launching and you're growing to the mm -hmm. next level, you know, what in that scenario between you and your husband, like what, how did you get to the, the mutual agreement? Like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to feel good about it. Like you said, which is, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what I need to make sure I'm covering my insecurity or insecurities, plural, and know that I'm going into this venture confidently. Like, what was that conversation like between you and your husband? And to know that the trust is there. Absolutely. So I think a lot of it helped, like the whole Dave Ramsey paying off debt situation. He saw that, like, you know, I was I was leading the charge and, and it turned out to be a really good thing. Like, we all of a sudden had this huge savings, right? We went from like, where's our money going to, you know, saving a ton just on his income and then all of a sudden be able to save my entire salary. So I think he found trust in that. And fortunately, he's, <laughs> I'm fortunate that he's a very trusting individual. Um, you know, I always say, I feel like if roles were reversed, I might not be. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> like in real estate, you write checks by the thousands. And if that was like my bank account, I'd be like, excuse me. <laughs> like, excuse me. Check, check, check. <laughs> but you know, he, you know, I, I thank him all the time for the support. And he's like, well, you have yet to, you know, like, obviously there are points where we could have been more efficient, but you have yet to make me feel concerned, you know? So, um, our first, our first deal, it took us about six months to find, um, we almost went into a really bad deal because oh, investing, sure. investing long distance can be tough. You know, you don't have eyes on the properties. And this is actually one of my like top five lessons, like find somebody that you trust or a professional to actually go there and check the property out because 
we made the mistake of trusting the realtor and he has a financial um, interest in selling the property, right? So he, um, I don't know if he was trying to be deceiving still to this day, but basically he's like, oh, there's a little bit of mold here, but it's because the property has been sitting stagnant. Um, and we took his, you know, word for it. And um, after doing some digging, thankfully, I, I naturally did due diligence. <laughs> um, we were... We were under um, contract and everything. I started doing some digging because a red flag came up. Um, it was a trailer, a double wide, but it was a trailer. And in New York, they have what's called a DMV um, license, excuse me, DMV title. And so for whatever reason, they didn't have the DMV title. So if we bought it, somebody could show up out of the blue and decide they're going to hitch it to a, you know, a oh. semi and peace out. And they legally could. And that's after we were planning to put like all that money into it. So, you know, the lawyer was like, well, chances are they're not going to, you know, this was a foreclosure. They don't have money. That takes a lot of money. So, but there was, there was risk there, especially as our first deal. So then I go on white pages and I'm telling you white pages, you can do some serious investigating, <laughs> like creepy. Um, so I go on white pages. I don't know how creepy we want to get, but that's a good advice. Yeah, so I go on and I, I look up this property and I'm able to see on maps who the owners of all the surrounding prop properties are. And I was like, hmm, if, if anybody knows what happened in that house, it's gonna be the neighbors, right? So it's a small town and I'm originally from there. So I have a little bit of an in. And so I go on Facebook and I find one of the ladies and think, thankfully she was very, nice about it but i'm like hey i thought you know we have this mutual friend nice to meet you i'm thinking about buying the house next to you do you have any information about it like we'd like to you know find out before we actually buy it and she was an open book and she told us all the things like you know there was the daughter uh, the owner lived in there she had a boyfriend domestic disputes um somebody left water on and flooded the entire house so that little bit of mold was actually not. And she's like, one of my contractor friends looked at it. It was like going to be at least 40K to fix it, which is more than it's worth. And I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like we're supposed to close on this in a couple days. Um, wow. So it was, it was crazy. So then I call up my brother-in-law. Like we were planning to invest in upstate New York because that's where our family is. That's where our network is. Why it took us this long to call on our network, I don't know. So he goes to check the property out and he's like run to fix it like that's least. what you told you wow so and what so, happened the, if you got into it then you would have to eat the bill i'm sorry you'd have to eat the bill if you had actually closed on that deal and had a 40k yeah we that honestly that that deal probably would have broke it for us in terms of real estate and so you know i'm a firm believer in learning from your mistakes and so we we were like okay well we come into town frequently so like we either need to see it with our eyes or somebody we can trust sees it for us um and so thankfully we pulled out of that deal that was a no no go but then we were in town for christmas and that same realtor got a hold of me like hey my aunt and uncle you know um they inherited 
these two properties. It's a duplex and a triplex and it's $50,000 cash. And I was like, okay, well, you know, we, we're in town for a couple more days, like meet us tomorrow and we'll go look at it. And so, <laughs> and initially my husband was like, I don't know if I want to do real estate now. Like after that last one, I don't know. I'm like, honey, like, like, let's just go look at it and see where it goes from there. So there was some hesitation there because of what we experienced, but thankfully, um, because of the inspection clause, we only lost out on the lawyer's time, like what that cost. I think it was like 500 bucks. Um, but that was a lot cheaper than what, you know, that 40 K would have cost us because we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have gotten our money back. Um, so we went and checked it out and, and we were, I was even honestly still a little bit on edge, but we brought, this was an off market deal. So we were the only ones who knew about it. And I brought my brother-in-law along because this city is known for drugs. And I wanted, I didn't want to buy a property like in a bad part of town and he was more familiar with it. And so I brought him along and he's towards the end when Jonas and I are having our conversation about whether or not we want to do the deal. He's like, well, I'm getting the settlement soon. I mean, I'll take it. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> so then there was like that competitive, like, this is my deal and we're doing it. <laughs> and Joe's like, well, wait, I thought we were just saying we weren't. I'm like, no, no, we're doing this. This was my deal and your brother's not getting it. So that's kind of like how our first deal went down. Um, so it, for, those that, for those that don't understand maybe completely what off-market deals mean they just basically mean that you know it's not listed in public platforms or not listed with an actual brokerage pocket listing it can still be listed with the broker or the agent but it's not necessarily out in the market yet where you know bidding competition will happen so really if you, you kind of have that first dibs as we call it mm -hmm. you know, like go take a look at it if you want to make an offer cash buy it you got it, it it's sort of that's usual approach um but i like the fact that your husband's name is jonas yes i told you that, that so is like... crazy like jonah jonah we were just meant to be on here i know sometimes <laughs> that, when i'm messaging you like i accidentally put the s and then i have to like erase it <laughs> <laughs> i know it's like um you know <laughs> j and a y you know it, it sounds pretty uh, similar when people say is it yona is it j i'm like you know yona so we we were kind of uh twinning back then in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But I like the fact that you looked at that deal, you kind of learned like hands-on, you know, like doing that due diligence that you're talking about. The due diligence, I think it's its own process. Like it can cost you money, you mm -hmm. know, to hire inspectors, to hire roofers. I mean, all of that stuff, especially on the commercial side. I think for, for you know, the, the, the single family residents, you know, where you're kind of gonna, you know, going into a, a I, I guess, fix and flip. I think there's, you know, with, with everything else going on, you'd really have to, to kind of invest in that due diligence from what I've seen so far, the difference. Um, you know, what would be one of the, the biggest, um, maybe lesson you learned uh, doing the due diligence, uh, you know, hire, outsourcing it and hiring someone, like you said, you know, like make sure when you're dealing with somebody, especially long distance investing, Make sure you have the relationship and can really rely on each other. I don't know about the word trust, because we can trust, but at some point, that's tested. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, it can break, and it's snap of a finger, you're like, okay, we're gone, gone, we're done. 
you know, but the reliability factor though, you know, mm -hmm. well, how do we, how can we predetermine that? Like, I mean, I know it's, it's credentials, references, people that, you know, has worked with uh, or have worked with them uh, in the past. Um, mm -hmm. what, what do you think you would look at as far as due diligence on duplexes and single family, uh, you know, properties that maybe you'll want to renovate and turn it into a rental? Maybe take us through that. Sure. Um, through my experiences between the duplex, the triplex, later a single family home, and now we're about to take on a fiveplex. The biggest takeaway, at least for me, because it's cost me the most money, <laughs> um, is asking the question, when was the last time somebody lived here? Because it had been a while since anybody had lived in either of the properties, and therefore different code rules apply, especially in upstate New York, a lot of the houses are really old. And so all along, like things have been grandfathered in, right? But after they've been vacant for so long, those rules don't apply anymore. And all of a sudden you have to up, you have to upgrade all the plumbing, all the electricity, um, those narrow stairs, they're not going to work anymore. So like literally our triplex costs so much money because it's been like 15, 16 years since anyone's lived there. Mm -hmm. And so that's my first question I ask, like, when was some, like, when was this functional? Um, because it's cost us the most and, and therefore I'm going to learn from it. Um, also like, uh, another question we asked, um, especially in, in New York where it gets cold, have these pipes been winterized? Or am I going to walk into a big mess because all the pipes have bursted, the water's still on or was on? Like, um, so that's another thing we look at. Obviously, you're going to look at the big ticket items, the heating system, um, the roof. Fortunately, AC is not really a thing up New York in New York, but if you get down here in, in like Texas or I'm sure in Cali, like the HVAC system, <laughs> like those are things that you want to look at up front. And you want people who know what they're doing when they're looking at it. Um, in terms of our due diligence, and and um, we used my husband's family. We were really lucky in that in that sense. He grew up Amish, and so his family members are general contractors. It's what they've done. Like his uncle, who did the the first renovations on our duplex, um, he's been a general contractor for over forty years. Um, and he like everybody wants him he's really good at what he does so we brought him in we brought in my husband's cousin like we were bringing in multiple people <laughs> to check these properties out so that we knew okay what not necessarily like the properties we buy like we're expecting to put money into we're expecting to bring the value add um because it's risk and reward right like the more risk we take the the better the return will be hopefully if it's done right and the calculations are there um, and the numbers work. So like we expect those things, but we want to know of them before we like sign on the dotted line. So then actually that, you, you know, you're blessed to have, you know, family that can support that, you know, um, mm -hmm. not everybody will probably have in that same scenario where, you know, they can do due diligence and trust their family members. But I think, you know, what you're saying is in, in, in an overall scenario, make sure when you're doing your due diligence, have a list of, of things to check, plumbing, HVAC, uh, roof, you know, how, you know, how many years uh, has this been vacant? You know, who was the, who was the last, like, 
I know from one conversation, you should find out if somebody died in the house or something like that, yeah. right? Like, because you know what I mean? Like that, that could be it, like a superstition thing. You know, Feng Shui, it's very big with, you know, the Asian culture, you know, like- And they have had a tenant pass away this year. I've experienced oh, that. <laughs> yeah. And there was like a investigation afterwards as well. It was, we've experienced a lot in the past 18 months. Wow. But yeah, absolutely. Right? So- and then, and then being able to talk to a general contractor, I think that was one of my biggest lessons. The, the note, I should have trusted my gut instinct. To this day, I, you know what? I have literally stapled this piece of paper on my journal. And, and I'll take a photo and, and share that with you after this because it's interesting. It's a reminder of that lesson. And you know that, that gut instinct you have, you know, who do you want to work with? Even though they present every like credibility case studies, references, right? It's, it's a gut feeling too. And one of the biggest mistakes is really aligning with that general contractor, the person that's going to be, you know, your point of contact, like who's going to do the gate, who's going to do the route. So to me, I think my, I guess a tip that I would like to share with everybody is use your, your instincts as well you know, that gut instinct, right? If you want to work with someone, it's so important to kind of feel that vibe and align. What's your take on that? Like, I mean, you know, you, you're a really personable person, so I'm sure you kind of understand, right? Super relatable, Jonah. You have no idea. Um, fortunately, like our first general contractor worked out great as my husband's um, uncle. And I'm really glad because we got some cash flow going pretty quick. I think he got the he was basically a one-man team and he got it done in like the duplex done in four months or so um and we were able to rent out the first one and then he moved on to the second one so it was staggered um but i had a gut feeling so that that realtor i told you about he's like oh i can you know i can manage properties and i'm like what and in my gut i was like you i don't know about this i really don't but um you know i allowed him to to persuade me, like, you know, he can take this on and he can do all these favors for me. He was willing to help paint, like he was willing to get his hands dirty. And he did a lot in the beginning. And I was like, oh, I've got this dream team. But like, you know, from the beginning, like in my gut, I was like, I don't know about this. Um, long story short, he turned out to be the property manager from hell. <laughs> and <laughs> It, it was so bad. Like I had to cautiously terminate him because I was afraid he would do something crazy and malicious to our properties. Oh, um, at one point, like he was, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed to even admit this, but like he was squatting in one of our garages and because like he broke up with his significant other, they had a domestic dispute oh my on my property. I'm like, how are the tenants supposed to take you seriously? And then he opened or was running a business like in the garage and it was like a gymnastic stunting business so we're talking <laughs> liability oh my god he brought in a trampoline and you know i kind of knew what was going on but at the same time i think i was just naive or you like, were the benefit of the doubt you're like okay no no this is good yeah, this is okay it started it started out with like my niece wants to join the cheerleading squad and she has trials coming up. Like, do you mind if I put some mats in there and help her? I'm like, uh -oh. okay, well, if it's just your niece, 
sure and it just all of a sudden a few days later he has this like business page up and all, like yeah. doing lessons so they were basically taking advantage 100 right? so especially as a long distance investor and the tenants like you know i've always been like tenants first kind of person like they were on my team they were calling me cindy like and they had my phone number because I don't do that now, but they had my phone number because I couldn't trust him to be there. I was like, if there's water and there was a point, a couple points where there was water involved and he wasn't, he wasn't there. Um, but they would be like, this is going down. And this is, this is so universal, honestly, like it doesn't matter where you live, what country, if you're going into real estate, if you're going into handling renovations, construction, and you're long distance, and you're investing your effort and your money, hard-earned money, this kind of stuff can happen. And so I think what I would take from this is, you know, work with a property management company that has enough, mm -hmm. I, I believe, um, um, what do you, what's the right word to say? Accreditation, referral. Not like the credibility to, for you to, to have a recourse, mm -hmm. you know? So if yeah. they were doing something right, there's a way for you to take that up. If you're working with just a single person or individual, that's tough because, right? Because they're going to play on that trust, that emotional trust that you've given them. And yeah. so it makes it tough for you. Like you said, it was a difficult termination but this stuff is real. So for the newbies and or people that are you know interested to go into something like this because they feel like, hey, maybe it's doable for me right now, something smaller, something, you know, maybe I can do long distance. It's not, it really doesn't matter the size of the deal, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I think it's all the same. It's universal. It's all the same. Mm -hmm. You have to really cover your angles and, and know who you're working with. What are the boundaries legally yeah, yeah. and personally and be able to kind of maintain um the professionalism somehow yeah. right so from what i you know kind of understood it was very similar to what we went through and i, I don't want to call out you know uh, the, the issue but i think you know that was also part of my responsibility because you i i literally allowed that personal rapport Mm -hmm. happens me too me too it's it's something i'm working and, on <laughs> right and we got taken advantage on in, mm -hmm. in that sense so i think it was it's an expensive lesson to learn but i think it's a lesson that will enable us now to really be better at what we're doing whether we're investing long distance whether we're just you know accumulating a, a portfolio that you know we want to renovate and fix and, and kind of turn it into, you know, these rental uh, cash flowing properties, uh, as I would call them. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to kind of see that, I mean, this happened in a span of 18 months. When less you, than. Less than. Wow, <laughs> I would you say like seven, eight months, yeah. Wow. You've so, accomplished yeah. a lot though. I mean. We have, and I like going back to the paying off debt thing, like, you know, we were, we had a lot to work with because we didn't have as many bills. And um, so we were really fortunate there. Like uh, we didn't have 50K chilling in the bank, but we did have half of that. And that was our emergency fund. <laughs> well, share with us like what you did with the credit cards. I'm really curious about that. So Cindy shared this on her LinkedIn social media. So you can find her on LinkedIn, um, but she shared about it. And I was, you know, it really got me curious. Like, how did you hack that? You know, the whole credit card. That's really smart because you can do that. You can. Yeah. 
uh, so, you know, this is where I feel like my music teacher background really gives me an edge in the real estate um, investing market because being a real estate investor, like it takes creativity. You're going to have problems pop up, but how are you going to overcome that problem? Are you going to go over it? Are you going to dig a hole under it? Like, or are you going to just let it stop you? And so there were some financing creativity that needed to take place. Um, you know, like we had half the acquisition of that property. We ended up getting private money. That's a story in itself. Um, but after the fact, we were like, well, we have to fund all these renovations now. We literally just wiped out our savings. Like we're all in at this point. We had a good amount coming in like from our W-2. So we weren't like freaking out just yet, but things were tight. You know, <laughs> things were tight for a little bit, but we didn't want to lose the opportunity. Um, and so we realized, you know, through the fire community, we acquired these different um, credit cards because we were trying to travel hack. We travel a lot being military. And we recently got approved for like a $25,000 credit card through Chase. And I was like, wow, that's great. We could use this on renovations, like the materials, like you know, our contractor isn't going to take our credit card. We'll have to pay him in cash with labor, but we can take the credit card and get the materials with it. However, that credit card sitting at like 18% or something like that. Um, we had good credit, but that's just the way it sat. Um, so we were like, but we have this other credit card that through the paying off debt, we realized, um, it qualified for something called the Service Member Civil Relief Act because my husband got that credit card prior to joining the military. Therefore, Chase, like by law, they can't charge you anything more than 6%, mm -hmm. which is great. But yeah. Chase is even more generous and they give you 4%. So we had this one credit card that was like sitting at 4%, but had maybe like a $7,000 maximum. Um, and we're like, well, we would like to use that credit card to fund these purchases, but we don't have as much. So we're like, let's call up the credit card company and see if they'll increase our, our, um, what's, what's it Your called? Credit line. Your credit, the credit line. line. Thank you. I'm like having a moment. So we called them up and they're like, all right, we'll have to run your credit. Uh, okay. Let's run the credit. So it was my husband's credit card. And, you know, with the Equifax data breach and everything, we actually locked our credit lines and it's kind of a pain to unlock them or un unfreeze them. And uh, so we're like, oh, okay, I guess we'll do that. And then we'll call you back. And they're like, well, what you could do is, you know, you have these other credit cards also through Chase. They have to be through like banks and you could transfer those lines over. And we're like, excuse me? Like, so you mean that $25,000 credit card sitting at 18%, we can transfer like, 23 of that over like you want to leave something up on there but like 23 of that over to this credit card and then all of a sudden we have a $30,000 credit line yeah at four percent yeah and cash out too yeah <laughs> we're like okay let's do that so we get on and we start like transferring everything my husband <laughs> god bless him but my husband got on and he starts transferring them and like I don't know what happened, but it ended up being like $46,345.79 of a credit line. I'm like, you can't do that. You can do some math and make it like an even amount. <laughs> right. When we were done, we have, we had like $47,000 um, as a credit line at 4%. So we had like this, had a very 
revolving line of credit that we could use um, on these materials. And not only could we just use them on the materials, but we were also racking up points mm -hmm. to get us like free travel back home. Um, mind you, also because our properties are in our hometown, I am not a CPA, but anytime we go home for a, a wedding or we go home for Christmas, whatever it may be, we're always using our, our vacation to go home and visit family, which also is kind of frustrating. But at least now, as long as we show face at our properties and, and conduct business, it's a write-off. So um, we're getting- Do you use your points? Do you use your, the, the credit card yep. for the We point? use our credit card points there. And anything you redeem with points, even if you're getting cash back, that's tax-free. You're not getting taxed on those it's rewards. Definitely a hack. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. However, so, to get to where you got, you know, of course you have to have good credit. You have to be able to assess the risk too. Like you make sure you can afford that. So just a disclaimer out there, we're not giving that advice that you should be doing that. Make sure you consult with your, you know, your spouse or even your, your, you know, with your bank and kind of assess, mm -hmm. you know, can you afford that? Because I think, you know, using credit is such a complex topic but I could totally relate with you with the whole hack because we did this years back. Oh, yes. Investing in our business. So w before I got into real estate, we were always investors of businesses. So yep. we literally did an OPM. OPM means other people's money, which is really the bank, the credit. So yep. I can totally agree with you hundred percent that this is doable, but of course, you know, we must do it responsibly. We must, we cannot compromise other people such as our husbands or wives. I think in, in, in at least my personal opinion, um, but you're right. Like being able to go, you know, there's certain write-offs that you can do, you know, the, the points that you're collecting. I mean, that's helped us with hotels, you know, yeah. we use our points, you know, for, for staying in hotels. So it's a great perk to have. So starting a business, whether real estate or just, you know, your business in general, like those, I think those are the things that a lot of people can consider really thinking about hacking into, right? I mean, yeah. $47,000 that came out of that, that's amazing. That's it a lot a, of money. It got us a really good start. It got us through like two and a half units in terms of, you know, materials before we were like, oh, you know, we're getting up there. Right. Um, but also like, and this comes straight from my CPA. I, I'm not a CPA, but as long as you use that, that entire credit card for business purchases only, even though it's a personal line of credit, you can still use that as a right, like the, the interest as a write-off. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, we weren't able to say that because I wasn't, I was kind of sloppy <laughs> in my accounting. And so we put some personal stuff on it, but I just wanted to throw that out there that um, also I can't let this go without saying, you know, this was hard for me to accept coming from a really strict Dave Ramsey background. Um, but I would say in the last couple of years, I've really learned the difference between amortized interest and simple interest, and it's huge. So anything with the word loan on it, whether it's a car note, a car loan, whether it's like your mortgage, like we get that, you know, amortization schedule and you have like a thousand dollar mortgage, but like seven or 800 of it is going to the bank and only 200, 200 of it is going to the principal. Well, I thought my credit or I thought my interest rate was like three and a half percent. Like that doesn't look like three and a half percent. And it's because it's amortized. It's very front loaded interest. And then eventually you'll start to get 
even around, I think it's year 17-ish, but they don't even usually let you get there because around year three or four, they're asking you to refinance. And the bank, we have to realize they're a business. And you can't hate them because they have a really good business model. They know what they're doing. And there's a reason they have all the biggest buildings in all the cities. Um, but I think it's worth our while to question the norm. You know, like we're always asked or we're always told, save your money for a rainy day. Well, what the heck does rainy day mean? And why do we put our money in the bank? Like, you know, I don't think we take the time to question why we do things. And so I, um, I'm a huge proponent of education and really knowing how how this works and and how to use it to the best of your ability and really being hands-on you know i think you touched on so many key points you know to be hands-on in that learning and question those things and kind of think outside that norm and that norm pretty much we see the norm right now you know we're amidst mm -hmm. a crazy time but i think now it's really kind of pushed a lot of people to kind of go outside that norm we have no choice so I think, like you're saying, you know, educate yourself, financial education, now going into investing. There's so many different ways to invest passively, actively. Uh, actively means, you know, you can start your own business. You can start your own online business, your e-com business. There's no more excuse. But at the same time, it's like before you go into a business, make sure it's something that you're going to like, something that you're willing to, to kind of, you know, put that that um, risk factor in and say, yeah, I'm willing to take that. You know, I guess going to the whole, just to conclude on that 47,000, right? Like that's, that itself is leverage. So a lot of people say, how do you invest? I don't have any money. What does OPM mean? This is an example of that. You yep. know, it's like the bank money. <laughs> right. And, and, and really like a bank is a form. It was the original form of syndication. We're not using a bank's money. It's everybody else's money. That's true. Right? Yeah. So providing, you know, the credit and, and you know, being able to, to have a, a, an expense that you can write off. Oh, my gosh. It's like benefits everywhere. So really, it's, yeah, it's willing to take that leap. And, you know, no matter what level you're in in your personal life, I think it's time to kind of look at outside the norm, like you said, educate mm -hmm. yourself. And you know, use financial means in a way that it can create leverage so that mm -hmm. you can start thinking about saving, investing, and, and now you're going into the whole generational wealth. Because really as a mom, right, as a working mom, as a woman in business, you're thinking about what can I now show and pass on to my family, to my kids. And so I think, you know, that's where it's going to be heading to as you dive into now going into your uh uh, is it is, is it a, a fiveplex, for example? Yeah. Because after fiveplex, now you're going into multi-units. Now you're going in, yeah. you know, it's going to open so many doors for you, someone like you that's now going to say, okay, now I've kind of, you know, surpassed the challenges the past 18 months and I'm re ready to take on. So in closing, like everything you've gone through, you know, from a 14-year-old question to me, I'll ask that to you because you're a mom. Mm -hmm. You know, um, my, my 14 year old asked me, is real estate the best form of wealth? And I couldn't answer it. I said, you know what? There's many ways to look at wealth. But he was asking from a perspective of when I make money, is that all? Is that is that what I need to just put my money into? 
And I said, well, that's from a 14 year old. I'm sure it'll change when you're 25, 35, 40. Yeah. Because I have a different take on it. You know, I've, I've kind of, you know, been in a lot of experiences, you know, we're business investors and going into real estate ourselves. So my take on things is I don't believe owning anything for myself. Mm-hmm. Everything that I'm doing is not to own for my own. So when mm-hmm. I explained that to, you know, my son who's 14, I said, I don't, I don't, plan to own that so that I can kind of just accumulate it because when we pass when we die even though it sounds so morbid we can't bring it with us so right. there's a bigger version and bigger purpose for that wealth and so it's a vehicle it's just a vehicle to create the means so you can do things that you're passionate about and that you really believe in whether it's raising a family traveling making an impact in you know charity work so what would you say if your 14-year-old son asked you that? Well, first of all, I'd be giving him props because that is a very intuitive question for him to be asking at that age. Good for him. Bravo, mom. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't even know what to say. And it really made me think about that in a deeper way, right? Because we're so caught up on every day, right? We're thinking, well, we just need to put money So I think for those listening, you know, the why, remember how we were talking about the why, what is your why? But if you were able to share that to your 14 year old son one day, Mm -hmm. or even now, if you want to talk about it now at this level, what would you say to them? Because they're going to see mom and dad doing that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I guess our actions show that currently we do believe that is the best form of wealth, right? Um, I, I think wealth can come in many different forms, the wealth of knowledge, a wealth of love and relationships. And, and I, I think this is just one of the many vehicles to get to the end, if that makes sense. So I know that might sound like a cop-out answer, but um, financially, I guess that's the one that we are focusing on because there are a lot of benefits to, you know, to our lifestyle, how this fits into the equation and how we can take it wherever we go. And at the end of the day, you know, we'll have my husband's, um, his retirement. And then, you know, if he wants to, he can work a contract job and then we can travel like I want to. We're always looking ahead. Um, But again, like you said, like that we can will over to you quite easily to our children. And it really does lend a generational hand. And, and that's what I love about it. And, you know, I believe that there are, there's purposes in paying taxes, but at the same time, why pay more than you should be? (laughs) And so there's a lot of tax um, benefits to real estate that no other business has. So I think that's another reason that it would be at least at the top of my list in terms of better um, way of accumulating wealth. If there is a better one, um, hopefully I find it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, beyond, right? The and beyond. So that, you know, that to me is amazing that you're going into, you know, your next ventures. And definitely that symbolizes or represents like the hard work, the dedication, the commitment. And really, I, I believe the empowerment as you're going through that itself is wealth. So I appreciate you sharing your time definitely been, you know, a, a fun conversation. And I hope that, you know, you, you come back and, and share more of what you have going on as you reach the next level, because I think there's so much to learn. 
You know, you, you touched on another topic aside from credit. Now we're talking about tax strategies and tax benefits. Wow. Like it's never ending when we talk about wealth. So yeah, that's, absolutely. that's amazing, right? Like this is what excites me. Doesn't it excite you? It excites oh, 100%. And I'm realizing now that I'm starting to, you know, be a guest on podcasts, I'm like, there's a lot to it. Like in my head, like there's all sorts of things I could talk about, <laughs> you know, creative acquisitions and saving on taxes and uh, just financing and, and private money and like all those red flags that I could have avoided and I'd rather you avoid. Right. Um, and real quick, I know you had mentioned insight for new investors. And um, if you don't mind, I'd like to, to tap into that real quick. Um, so as an educator, my very first suggestion would be to go out and get educated on the topic. Real estate is great, but it's also expensive when you make mistakes. So it's better if you learn from other people's mistakes. I really like the investor community because at least the people that I've come into, I'm sure there's, there's exceptions to the rules, but we're all willing to like give you that, that tip or right. give you you know what I'm saying? Like help each right. other out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, network, learn the thing, but don't get stuck in paralysis analysis because at some point you need to go out and do the thing. Um, I, we so easily spend thousands upon thousands of dollars on formal education, but then when it comes to like spending $500, um, in earnest or money we like, or practical <laughs> education, like we freak out. And, you know, like we lost $500 on that lawyer's time, but at the same time, because we took that, ex that experience and that expense really, and we learned from it, that doesn't have to be an expense anymore. It is now an investment. It's an investment in ourselves and our future transactions um, and endeavors. So that's just a little tidbit I want to leave there um, for newer investors. And I think that can be applied really to anything, um, even businesses, you know. And I, think, and I really believe that, like what you shared, which is when you start talking to investor communities, you know, they're always willing to, to lend a helping hand as far as insight and, you know, tips. I was in a meeting that talked about that, you know, was kind of exchanging insight with me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I totally appreciate that. You know, it's something that I didn't think about. So it's really a learning curve. And, and for those who want to get in, whether passively or actively, whether you have a lot of money or you want to do an OPM, I really believe that it's not easy. It's going to be scary. So, you know, being stuck in the, the analysis paralysis is, is on point. It's in the doing that's really going to open your mind. You're like, wow, that was hard. But now I'm going to see where I'm going in that vision and that purpose, mm -hmm. why I'm even doing it. So, you know, realizing the why, like, why do you want to do this? And, and you know, being, um, you know, being in this time where we're all in this pandemic, you know, there's a lot of whys, you know, lingering in our minds. Like, why do I need to do that now? Why do I need to make that change? And I think that should be the very first step is the self-reflection, you know, and then kind of work your way to financial education mm -hmm. and then talk to fellow you know, maybe professionals ask them, you know, what have they done? And then work your way to networking with other investors that's done it. Mm -hmm. And they can shed light into some of those mistakes and lessons and listen to podcasts like this. Honestly, yeah. this is why I've, I've done this because I think these open conversations, there's so much truth and can serve a purpose of, of lesson and it's free. 
Yeah, 100%. So, we don't have any excuses, like get out there. <laughs> really, no excuses, you're right. So again, this is an example coming from you that, you know, in a span of 18 months, 17, 18 months, I mean, that's more than what you would get out of a, a four year university, you know, experience at this point, right? So mm -hmm. now being everything online, virtual, why not? There's many free resources. There's, you know, podcasts, there's Google search, <laughs> you know, there's, you know, there's a lot, the online Kindle, Amazon. So I think, you know, overall, somebody that's looking to make a change, make a shift, it's reality. And, you know, you can do that. You know, people like us are doing that now. So th there should be no excuse why you can't do something or how you can't do something. So again, just, you know, to, to again, thank you for sharing this time. I really appreciate it because I think a lot of women that probably are going through young or older, it's never too late and never too early. So this is really an empowering conversation and I appreciate you joining Launch Your Wealth. So until the next episode, we will have you back again for another topic of your next level. Next Sounds level. Great. <laughs> and there you have it, an amazing conversation to welcome a bigger, better, and more prosperous new year. Let's keep breaking those barriers if you'd like to join Launch Your Wealth Inner Circle every Thursday via Zoom, send us an email, jonah at launcherwealth.com. From there, you will receive a private invitation. All you need is yourself, your positive energy, and a growth mindset. We are all in this together. So I want you to find me on Instagram and on LinkedIn. I promise you, we are in this together as partners whether you are on the other side of the world or you're in the US or you're in Canada, no matter what, this platform is made for you. So until the next episode, I hope to see you in my inner circle.